Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Here at Overflow, we, we value family, right? Because we follow Jesus together. So the first week we talked about we. It's not about me. It's about we. And I think the problem with most people is they, they get it upside down, right? They think it's all about them, but we need to turn the me into we if we're going to we're gonna follow Jesus. And then we, we do that. We follow Jesus, right? It's not, we're not following culture. We're not following our desires or our passion. No, we're following him. And sometimes he puts those things in us, but we are pursuing him. And today we're talking about the last part is together. Everyone say together. And we're talking about unity today, but, but just a, a quick recap. What we've learned in this series is that, is that uh, get together, this thing that God calls us, it's actually a command in Scripture that you gather. Did you know that? That it wasn't, it wasn't some guy's idea that said, hey, let's have church. That sounds like a great idea. No, no, no. That was God's idea. And all throughout the Scripture, we see, in fact, you can't have a New Testament theology without community. It just doesn't work. I mean, two-thirds of the New Testament was written to people that were doing what we're doing right now. And so we understand that, that if we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, then we've got to be in community with other believers. And that doesn't just mean the people that are in your home, right? All these people had homes also that they were doing it as well. And so so it, it's not just a command, but it's actually a command with benefits, Right, we know that in in, in uh, Psalm chapter one thirty three that it says that, that where there's unity, that God actually commands His blessing. There's a command. God orders blessing. When he sees us unified, he goes, that's got to be blessed. I have to bless that because they've come together. In fact, we even see things in the Old Testament with the Tower of Babel that had this law of blessing on unity that they even did something evil, and there was a quote-unquote blessing upon it. Right? It was fruitful and just because they were on the same page. But God loves unity. And how much better if we come together for his purposes? We see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, right? This is, this is the, the birth of the New Testament church. We see this. Acts chapter 2 is all about them, what, getting together. They were together in the upper room. They were all in one accord. What, what kind of car did the disciples drive, right? They drove an, an accord, a Honda Accord. Sorry about that. Anyway, so... Uh, but what we're learning is that powerful things happen when God's people come together. It's just powerful things happen. We can expect the blessing of God. We can expect the power of God. Whenever we gather, he gathers. Come on. Isn't that good? So, and then last week we spent a lot of time really talking about following Jesus. And Pastor Nathan was praying some of that. Listen, following Jesus is not a prayer that we pray. It's a life that we live. And I, I think too many of us think, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer. No, no, no. You're not a Christian because you prayed a prayer. You're a Christian because you followed Jesus. You're not a Christian because you were born in America or in a Christian home or that you're raised in church or went to Christian school. No, no, no. You're a Christian because you follow Jesus, because you are following the life that he has prepared. And that requires denying yourself taking up your cross daily and following him. It's costly. It's costly to follow Jesus. You can come to him for free, but if you're going to follow him, it costs you everything. Now, today we are focusing on this idea of together. The idea of together. And often in modern independent cultures, we overlook the value of unity. Now, there is a lot of cultural talk about unity right now. We need to be united as a, as a nation. We, 
and listen, all that, what they're not talking really about unity. They're talking about uniformity. Just agree with me and then, and then no, 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 listen, because you can disagree with someone and still be in unity with them. Right? I'm still married to my wife, but we have disagreements sometimes. We don't have fights. We have intense fellowship. But, but every once in a while, we do, but that doesn't mean that we're not on the same page, but we're in the same pursuit. And so in independent culture, we overlook this thing called unity because we're caught up in this thing called individualism. And so we live in a culture that it's all about you, it's all about your hopes, it's all about your dreams, and, you know, everything, everything that's being promoted towards us is about you being the best you that you can be. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to deny ourselves. And part of the reason why we have to deny ourselves is because there's other believers that are going to rub us, and we're going to rub them. And so we've got we've to be willing to die to an aspect I'm not, I'm not telling you that you have no per, individual purpose. You absolutely do. But it's only to accomplish a greater means called the kingdom of God. And so in this, and, and, and what we, what none of us like is chaos, right? None of us like this, this disorder and this frustration and, you know, why can't we all just get along? We, we get that. But listen, you can get all that right and still not have peace. You can agree on all the policies and vote on the same side of the card or whatever and still not have peace. Because peace comes from the person of Christ. It doesn't come from the absence of chaos, okay? And so often we think that, that, um, that God shares this value of individualism. Now, God loves you as an individual. You need to have a private relationship with God. All those things are important, and God values that. But I can tell you that God really, really, really values this thing called unity. And we, we kind of think... I don't know about you, but for me, a large part of my Christian walk, I would say probably about the first 10 years, was very, like, unity was kind of like, yeah, it's important, but it's not like on, the, on a top 10 list, right? It's like, it's like, well, you know, I mean, let's make sure I'm reading my Bible and praying every day, and I'm, I'm behaving well, and I'm living holy, but, but, but unity, you know, hopefully sometime that will fall into place. Does anybody else with me on that. Like, you just never thought it was a really big deal. How big of a deal is it to God? I would suggest this to you, that unity is critical, and it is not a secondary issue to God. We see this all throughout the New Testament. It's a united church. Why are they a united ter- church? Because Jesus prayed that they would be. Get this. Look at what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. Now, this is Jesus praying his final prayers, This is Jesus in the garden, and he's not just praying that his flesh would would be crucified before he goes to the cross, right? He's he's praying that his spirit would be strong, all those things. Jesus is praying all that. We know we focus a lot on that, but I want you to look at John 17, what Jesus is praying. Now, now if Jesus is praying it, it's definitely on his heart. It's because you only spend time praying about what's important to you. So this is what he says. I'm not praying for only these disciples, the disciples that were doing life with him, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. So Jesus, in this moment, is praying for us. So cool. I love it. He was was imagining before the Father what we're doing right now. Those that believe in me through their message, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Whoa, hold up. That's some crazy unity. Jesus and the Father. 
I mean, when we talk about the Trinity, we're like trying to grasp our, our mind around what that looks like. Like the, the, the Trinity is perfect unity. Jesus is praying as the body of Christ that we would, we would emulate that kind of unity. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That means that they're completely on the same page. And they have different function. Come on. Jesus and the Father have different function, but they're totally on the same page. And may they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and they are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Come on, Jesus, you're praying for perfection that the world would know. You, we can sit around and we can talk about why, why the world hates the church so much and why the church isn't a lot of the world and why the church this and why the church. And you know what Jesus' focus is? Our unity. We have a divided church, therefore we have a powerless church. Therefore, we have a poor reputation as a church. And you know what? One of the worst things that we do is we criticize one another. That's not the thing that Jesus is praying for. He's he's praying against open letters and blogs and YouTube channels that's out there just exposing the body of Christ. He's praying against that. But he's praying that whenever another brother is in error, that you would do what he said, is you would go to them privately. This is the kind of stuff he's praying for. And you would love them as much as you love me. I pray that they would know. See, did you know that the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus? (laughs) Whoa. How much does God love you? As much as he loves Jesus. The perfect one. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am so that they can see all the glory you have given me because you loved me before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. And I have revealed you to them and will continue to do so. And how does he do that now? Through the Spirit then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Friends, we have the incredible opportunity to answer the prayer that Jesus prayed. You get to be the answer that Jesus prayed. Will we be a united church, a united people, or a divided church? He's praying we would be united. He, he, we know Paul prays this. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, make every effort to keep the, every effort to keep the unity of the faith. It's a big deal to God. So if it's a priority for God, then it should be a priority for us. And we fulfill the prayer of Christ when we grow in unity. What Jesus was praying for, when we, listen, when you Go, when you invite somebody today after service out for lunch and you sit around and you talk about what God's been doing in your life, you're answering the prayer of Jesus. When you show up on a Sunday morning at 9.30 before anybody else does to do the work of the kingdom, you're answering the prayer of Jesus.
He prayed that we would function like that. It's important to him. And listen, it's not just important for him. He gives glory for unity. See, God is glorified when we're unified. God is glorified. Can you say that? God is glorified when we're unified. In fact, he gives glory. This is what he says. I have given them glory that they may be one. So he puts his glory on us not so we can go around and go, oh, I'm just a child of God. Give me that best parking spot. You were totally missing it. He might give you the great parking spot, or he might tell you to lay it down to give it to somebody else who's praying the same thing, and you'll gladly do it. He didn't just give you the glory so you could beam. That's part of it. You should have a face like Moses, emulating the glory of God. But he gives glory for unity. So we can come, not just come together, but we can be together. So we can do life together. So we can follow Jesus together. And we see this, this prayer started being answered in Acts. Right? I mean, we see the power that comes on them when they were together. And then, it's, and then that continued. It wasn't like, oh, it happened. They had this event, and they didn't have to be unified anymore. They all, experienced, they all had the same experience. Now they can go change the world. No, no, no. It continues. All throughout the book of Acts. Check this out. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Interesting, it doesn't even say miracles that were performed by Jesus. Performed by the apostles through the Spirit. Come on, we know that. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Whoa, they're answering the prayer of Jesus. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Every day. They were doing it together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it wasn't just a family that they were getting together, us four no more. Actually, the world was seeing how unified they were. They were seeing the blessing of God. They were seeing the gladness. They were seeing the devotion. They said, I want that, and the church grew. Listen, beloved, you want to see overflow grow? I hope you do. If you want to see it grow, you got you you to buy in. You got to buy in. You've got to buy into this idea called family. So how do we answer God's prayer to unify? We do it just like the apostles. First of all, you've got to have fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. <laughs> it's a word. We made it. It's a word. Fellowship. That means we are following Jesus together. They devoted themselves to following Jesus and the teaching from the apostles. Who did? They did. Not I did. Not you did, they did. Corporately, they were following Jesus together. Did you know that following Jesus alone is not a biblical concept? Well, it's just me and Jesus. Wrong. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than you. 
You're going to have needs. You're going to have stuff. But you better have somebody in your life. I, our pastor in Amarillo used to always say this. Richie Brown used to say this all the time. He said, if you don't take the time to build community when you don't need it, you won't have it when you do need it. And all community is, is, is this word that we use, family. Community just means common unity. You've got, you've got, we've got to be following Jesus together. So we're not meant to do it alone. Listen, you better have your own private prayer time and devotional time and direction with the Lord and talking to the Lord privately. No question. But if it ends there, you're missing the blessing. You're missing what God ordains. So they were devoted. They worshiped together. We see this. They, went up, they were praising together all the time. They were getting into the word together. They were doing what we're doing right now. They were committed to the, to the teaching of their leaders. They were praying together. It wasn't just a one-time thing that we see in the upper room. No, the upper room sparked this lifestyle that they were entering into. And I don't know about you, but when I read the book of Acts, I'm like, that's my goal. Right? I want to live like the early apostles did. I want to, when I lay hands on sick people, I want them to get healed. I don't want to just, you know, be obedient. Well, Jesus said pray, lay hands on sick, and so I, I want to be, I don't want to just be obedient. I want to be fruitful, right? And so I don't know about you, but I want my prayers answered. I want them to be effective. And so there's this, this passage in Matthew chapter 18. Now, let me give you a little, a little balance right here, because because some people have misused this because they don't understand the context. And some people have said, well, it's just the context. It doesn't mean anything. So I'm going to help you out. Jesus just tells Peter, we talk about it all the time, here's the keys. Here's the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Jesus is really talking about the authority that the church carries. And so Jesus talks a lot about offense. He talks about all this stuff. And so many people have just isolated this verse and said, well, this verse is only talking about church authority and government. Yes, it is talking about that, but I want to read it for you. Matthew 18, 19. I also tell you this. Now, it's interesting. He says, I also tell you this. So he's, so in this, the specificness of church authority, he's also bringing in a truth that's greater than just this moment. Do you understand? Jesus does this frequently. Is he talking specifically about an issue? Yes, but he's also laying down a law and a principle that transcends a specific thing. Are y'all are tracking? Okay. So he says this, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. What's he saying? He's saying something happens when God's people come together. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there with them. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there with you when you're on your own. He's just saying, listen, there is this thing called synergy that happens when you come together with another believer and pray. Uh, I can't think of where the reference is, but one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. It's not one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 2,000. No, it's one and then 10,000. Wow, what happens? Because when God's people come together, things happen. So we've got to follow Jesus together. We've got to pray together. We've got to read the word together. You're doing that right now. You're in church together. It's important. It's a big deal to God. It should be a big deal to you. It should trouble all of us to know that someone says they're a faithful attender of church if they go once every six weeks. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're missing it. Maybe you miss once every six weeks at the most. Come on. I mean, when I, when I first came to the Lord, we were there three times a week minimum. There three times a week. Like, like and three times it was like Sunday school. <laughs> and I, like I was unchurched and I came into this thing. Sunday school from like 9 to 1030 and then worship from 1030 to like 1 sometimes. And then back at church at 6 that night. <laughs> exhausting. And then Wednesday nights for whatever was happening at the church, and then if there's some kind of function on Friday. And somehow we've gotten to the place where we can do once a week if we're good. And if you're asking, don't ask me to come to the prayer meeting. <laughs> come on. I'm just, I'm, don't ask me to come to the small group. I mean, Sundays are good enough for me. It's not good enough for you. I'm just telling you it's not. You need, you need the body. You need the body of Christ. So you need fellowship. We're following Jesus together. Number two, you need fellowship. So this is, this is awesome about fellowship. Fellowship doesn't have to be spiritual. You don't have to, when you, and some of, some of you might feel like, well, I don't want to go, I mean, you know, I'm kind of new to this thing, and people at Overflow, they're deep. So I don't know that I want to go to lunch with them, you know, just, you know, speaking tongues the whole time we're eating food. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want it to get a little weird. Right? And so look, this is the, the, the language it uses. They were breaking bread together in fellowship. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Did you know that when you go to lunch with somebody or you go to somebody's house, you know that you're participating in New Testament Christianity? You're being faithful to the Bible. <laughs> what an easy thing. So when we decided to start community groups, we used to call them community groups. They're just groups now. But, we, but when we started our group at our house, we said, we're just going to get together and share a meal together. We're just going to eat. And you know what ends up happening? Conversations. You know what ends up happening? Hope. You know what ends up happening? Encouragement. And we're not doing a Bible study. We are doing a Bible study, but not intentionally. The Bible study is in here. Check this out. Colossians 3.16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill, his, fill your lives. So one translation says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word's already in me. And the word's already in you because this morning you were spending time with them, or last night you were. And so when we get together, that's stirring up, and it's stirring up in you. So we get these crazy conversations all the time of people... We'll have them over for dinner. You're like, well, I want to go over for dinner. Well, come on, let's do it. And you, and you, you leave and you, I get a text the next day. Man, I was so encouraged. And we didn't talk about the Bible. <laughs> we didn't talk about politics. We just hung out. We laughed. And we're like, I feel so encouraged. Why? Because the word of Christ has so impacted our life that our life is enriched. And whenever I share life, the word in the Greek is koinia. And that word koinia means the sharing of life. So what's inside of me comes out. And sometimes it's not about the words that I'm saying. It's just about the one who is dwelling in me. And the one who is dwelling in you is, is coming out. <laughs> We're having a party. And you're like, I was just so encouraged just by hanging out with you. And you didn't even use a Bible verse. You didn't even pray a prayer. You prayed for the food. Rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. That was it. It wasn't really that spiritual, but it was spiritual because you were being obedient. 
So don't, listen, don't think it because you have to go to lunch with somebody, you got to have a Bible study. Or there has to be a deep prayer. If that happens, awesome. But don't feel like it has to be that way. Sometimes it's just a sharing of life. And some of the most fruitful, I'm telling you, I've been in ministry for a long time. The best, some of the best moments in ministry weren't happening in a context like this. They were just happening driving down the road laughing. And some of y'all are like, I know, it's so crazy. And, and don't mis- listen, don't mistake reading memes and instant messaging and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't mistake that for fellowship. That's very, very soft. There's something different when you get in the room. If we've learned anything over the last year and a half, we've learned that. We've learned that. Fellowship. So you got fellowship, you've got fellowship, and the next thing is filling needs. Filling needs. They sold property and possessions and gave it to everyone in need. Now, this isn't talking about that we should have government communism. That is not what it's talking about. They willingly did this. No government was telling them to do this. They were saying, listen, our brother has need, and I have more than I need, so I'm going to get rid of what I don't need and help him out who needs it. And so what we've, we've, we've seen is simple things, and one of the great joys, I don't remember who it was, but but. Some kid was wearing some other kid's clothes the other day that he had grown out of. I don't remember the conversation, but I want to say Uriah was wearing some, or, or somebody was wearing one of Judah's old shirts. And I was like, man, that looks like Judah's old shirt from like five years ago. Well, it was Judah's old shirt. Huh? It was Vincent or Reuben. I don't remember which one it was. And I was like, that, Judah used to have that shirt. That's the shirt. Something that we just had up in the attic is being used now, something that they didn't have to go spend money on. And I could tell you as a pastor, like, I'm like, we're doing it. When I look at it, I'm encouraged by that because I'm like, we're doing it. This is Book of Acts stuff. Listen, it's not just healing people. We love that. It's not just casting out demons. We love that. It's also giving them the clothes. The, the, the book that you've been reading that's been sitting on a shelf that someone's been wanting to buy, but they don't have the eight bucks to buy it, but you give it to them. It's material needs. Sometimes it's money, gas money. Sometimes it's clothing. By all this, Jesus says, 13, John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's, listen, he's not talking about us loving the world. We need to do that. He's talking about us loving one another us taking care of one another. Would it, would, it, would it be powerful if the church was just loved the church and the world looked at us and said, man, I wish I could be part of a community that loved one another so well. Yeah. Beloved, we've got to get better about loving one another. Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples, not because you're humanitarian efforts, not because you're going out and laying hands on sick people or even out preaching the gospel. They're going to know that you're my beloved, that you're the church. They're going to know and they're going to want what you got because you love each other really well, because you're together, because you're unified. So that's why he prays it. So not just material needs, then we have the immaterial needs. And we talked a little bit about this before, encouragement. Encouragement. Now, let me say this about encouragement just before you go, yes, I just want to feel good. Encouragement sometimes isn't just about feeling good. Sometimes encouragement is feeling bad. See, you should feel good about good things, and you should feel bad about bad things. 
Do you understand this? The problem in the world is we say, oh, it's just our feelings are so important. So we're telling people that you should feel good about bad things. No, we shouldn't. We should feel bad about bad things. And we should feel good about good things. And we should, we should repent of the bad things so we can feel good about the good things that come from it. This is why love rejoices in truth. It does not delight in evil. And so, when, so sometimes encouragement doesn't mean necessarily tell me what I'm doing right. Sometimes it tell, it, it, it's saying, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And sometimes I need a brother in my life to say, Pastor, when you say that, it just doesn't come across well. When you act that way, when you have that sarcastic smile, which many of you know about, which I'm working on it, but I need to know how it appears. Not my intention, how it appears. So the biblical standard of encouragement doesn't affirm sin. It confronts it. Let me say that again because you think, you think because a brother or sister called you out that they're not being encouraging. Beloved, they are. They're encouraging you to do the right thing. So the biblical standard of encouragement doesn't affirm sin. It confronts it. To affirm sin is just as hateful as beating somebody up over it. Did you know to affirm sin is sinful? So if you tell if somebody sinned and you go, oh, it's not a big deal. Did you know you just sinned? Because you just encourage somebody to continue in their sin. So we need to be able to confront one another when we miss it. And we need to be able to be confronted. Come on. Not be so prideful. Well, I did it. What are going to do that? <laughs> Pride talking. You, you can, you, you, you don't, you're not allowed there. We do this with, with our brothers and sisters all the time. We want the good word that makes us feel well, but we, we, we don't want to feel bad for anything wrong that we did. Beloved, let's welcome it all and understand that we're family. And just because you, are, you point out an issue in my life, it doesn't mean that I'm under your scrutiny. I'm realizing that it's because you love me that you want me to do better because, because the easier thing for you to do was, would just be to avoid me and not say anything about it. Listen, if I speak into your life, it's because I love you because I hate confrontation. So encouragement. <laughs> sometimes encouragement means the delightful kind that we like. Yeah, you're doing good. And sometimes encouragement is like, stop doing that. <laughs> Laughing together. Immaterial needs. Laughing together. Laughter is a need in your life. Did you know that you need to laugh? I was having a rough week last week. And Pastor Leslie said, let's, let's find something to watch on Netflix that will make us laugh. And so we found this really clean comedian. I can't even remember his name. And he was hilarious. And we just laughed in bed. And then she fell asleep while I was laughing. It was great. You should laugh more. You should get around people and laugh. You should get around believers and laugh. It's a need. Notice it says in verse 46, they had glad hearts. They weren't like, let's get serious about the gospel. They were. They were very serious about the gospel. But they weren't like intense all the time. Like, oh, like, like, we need to pray. We, didn't, we hadn't prayed in five minutes. Let's pray. No, they had glad hearts. They were doing it. They were praying. They were at the prayer meeting together. They weren't trying to Jesus juke each other all the time. Come on. I guarantee you they were. When they screwed up, they were like, listen. And, and we see this with, with Peter and Paul have this like falling out. They reconcile, but they have this crazy like falling out. So they laugh together. They rejoice together. They celebrate together. When one of us wins, we win. Yes. 
Your win is my win. My win is your win. My loss is your loss. We rejoice with one another and we weep with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So when you're grieving, when you're hurting, I'm going to come together so we can mourn together. Because when you hurt, when my toe hurts, my, it feels like my whole body hurts. Even if I'm not a toe. Definitely not a toe in the body. I promise you that. I'd rather be a belly button than a toe. Not a toe, Lord. You know it. All right. So how do we answer the prayer of Jesus? Fellowship, fellowship, filling needs. And sometimes those needs are, are just being in the room. And sometimes, listen, l- let me say another thing that can be really annoying. Sometimes you don't give advice. Sometimes. <laughs> I hate it whenever I open up to somebody. I'm pretty vulnerable. You guys know that. I, I'm, I'm pretty much like I'm hard. I'm, you know what I'm feeling. I mean, it's, it's pre- apparent, sometimes to my detriment. And it's like sometimes I'll just pour out my heart and say, how are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, oh. And then they want to give me the word. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want a word. <laughs> I just want you to say, man, I love you. I'm sorry you're going through that. That's what I want, right? And then whenever I go, I need the word, you bring it. And you're ready for it. Sometimes. But it's important for us to be good discerners of, should I bring the word? Or should I, should I let it rest? And bring it to them in a couple of days. Y'all tracking? Okay. I'm just trying to help you function together. And that's, that's the, the fourth thing is functioning together. Fellowship, fellowship, feeling needs. Number four is functioning together. So what they were seeing in Acts is they were seeing many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Did you know that Jesus wants you in on the miracles? He, we are so careful. That's <laughs> so funny. We are more careful than the Bible is about God getting the glory for miracles. We really are because we're like, well, it wasn't me. It was God, right? And it says right here, it says the disciples performed signs and wonders. It doesn't even say by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not even in there in parentheses. Did, did they miss it? Did the translators get it wrong, right? No, it's just, they, were, they knew this. They knew it was because of what happened in the upper room. They knew this. But Jesus wants you in on the miracles. He's going to get glory for it. You're going to give him glory for it. No question. But we, we get so careful. Oh, I don't want to mess it up. Go for it. Risk it. Just do it. Pray for the person. What if they don't get healed? It's not on you. And guess what? When they get healed, the only part is that you said yes to praying for them. <laughs> Really, at the end of the day, you don't get the glory for it. He does. He does. But we've got to learn to function together. So Jesus, this really came alive to me when I was reading a couple of weeks ago. Matthew chapter 14. Now, now Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, you know John the Baptist, like the Afro guy that lives in the desert, wears camel hair, camel hair and he eats locusts, and he's just a strange cat that lives out there. Well, that's Jesus' cousin. He's a forerunner for Jesus. Well, then he gets beheaded. He's like, he's really the first martyr of the kingdom. And so uh, John the Baptist gets his head be- beheaded. So Jesus is, is mourning. He's sad about it. He hears that, that John, he's, 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 Jesus is grieving. Come on. Which tells us that that's not a carnal thing to grieve. I just want to help you out with that because I, I sometimes deal with that when I'm grieving. Sometimes I feel like, well, I need to get over my grief. Listen, if you love something and you lose what you love, then it's proper for you to grieve. <laughs> it's, it's an indicator that you love well. So Jesus loves his cousin, John, who he's so grateful for, for 
John's ministry, preparing the way for Jesus. And it says this in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew. Not always the wisest thing to do when you're grieving, but Jesus did it. He's pretty wiser than I am. But he withdrew to a by boat privately to a solitary place. And, and hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, not like his plane, but his boat, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus is like, I'm not doing so well, but there's sick people here. Here you go. <laughs> Send me. I don't, I don't turn it off because I'm not doing so well. And as an evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. In other words, it's getting late. They're hungry. Send them away. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. Now, he's, Jesus is grieving. He's, he's kind of having a hard time here. And he's like, I've got, I've got more. I can give the people some more. Don't send them away. And then he doesn't say that I'll feed them. He says, you're going to feed them. <laughs> give them something to eat. Uh, we only have five loaves of bread here and two fish. Check the inventory. <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> what, what, what's our food count, <laughs> right? We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Oh, hey, Jesus, this ain't going to work. You need to send them away. No, you're going to feed them. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, gave thanks and broke. It's interesting, he gave thanks for what he had. Come on. Gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples. And the disciples, listen, the disciples gave it to the people. The disciples gave it to the people. The Jesus didn't give it to the people. The disciples gave it to the people. Is it because of Jesus' mourning? I don't know if it's because Jesus' mourning as much as it is that Jesus is saying, it's time for you to function. Why don't you give the bread to the people? Then he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. All the people. Hey, can you check the inventory again, Matthew? Because last I checked, we didn't have enough to feed everybody. But it's feeding everybody because when it's in the hands of Jesus, it's always enough. And so here they are. Jesus made it enough, but the disciples were in on the miracle. And Jesus wanted them in on the miracle. Jesus wants you in on the miracle. Did you know that Jesus wants you in on the miracle that is Overflow Church? The reason why you're here is because God wanted you here. And he wants you in on the miracles. He doesn't just want the miracles performed on the stage or a select few that are going to go lay hands. He wants you in on the miracle. They all ate and they were satisfied. And then listen, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. We had one basket, now we have 12. I don't know. Matthew, can you do the math here? Their leftovers were more than what they started with. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So let's just say 1,500 people. Let's be safe. It's a modest number. Beloved, we've got to function together. Church needs you. Your church, overflow is my, where do you go church? Overflow. Your church needs you. And some of you, I want to help you today. Some of you have been sitting in the fields eating. Awesome. So glad you're here. But it's time that you stop just eating and consuming and it's time you start serving. And this is what we find, is that when you serve, you eat more than those that are eating. 
And this is what happens. You say, man, I, when people come to me, they've been at the church for a couple years, and like, I'm just not being fed. I'm thinking, how well are you serving? Because the bread is here. And it's not about what's coming from the platform. And it's not about what's coming from the worship. It's, it's what's coming from your hand as you pass out what Jesus has provided. Those serving ate better than those just eaten. Beloved, we can only be the body together. We can only be the body of Christ if we are working together. A body has many parts, and your body works together. I don't know. As you get older, not, not as well. I'm learning. <laughs> so we got to have fellowship. We got to have fellowship. We got to fill needs. We've got to function together. And number five, last point is this, is we've got to move forward together. We move forward together. Listen, the kingdom of God is advancing. It is a moving machine. Organism. <laughs> it's not a machine. But it is moving. It is growing. It is advancing. It's forcefully advancing. So Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. He told them, his disciples, he says, because they were like, one of this guy was like, I want to follow you, Jesus, but, you know, I need to go home and get some stuff in order. We've heard that before, Jesus, right? And he's like, listen, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom. It's a harsh word, Jesus. Because in those days, you were plowing a field. You didn't have a machine. Even today, if you have a machine, you've got to keep your eye forward or your lines are going to be messed up. Right? So when I was about 16 years old, I moved in with my dad. My first, jo my first job was mowing my neighbor's lawn. His name was Dan. Pastor Leslie's heard this story a thousand times. A thousand and one today. She's heard me tell other people this story. And so I was mowing Dan's yard. And uh, one day our doorbell rings. I got, you know, I took a shower. All that was all cleaned up from mowing the lawn. And, you know, I'm going to make my 20 bucks or whatever it was that he paid me. And the doorbell rings, and it's Dan. He's like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm kind of intimidated. So Dan's like, all right, follow me. So I'm going with him. And he, he points at his lawn. I think he might have taken me to the backyard or something. He looks at the, points at the lawn. He goes, that looks like crap. That's exactly what he said. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, oh. like, I've just ruined everything. And he's like, listen to me. He said, when you mow the lawn, He's like, you've got to look at the end, like you would look at that fence post right there, and you've got to point at that fence post, and you can't be ADD Josh looking around. You've got to focus on something, and you've got to walk straight because those lines need to be straight. And so I've got a son who mows the lawn. He does a fantastic job. But when he started, I was like, look at those lines, bud. <laughs> you got to you got to find something, and you got to look at it, and you got to look straight. You can't be looking around. We're looking at the lawnmower. You've got to 
look ahead. You've got you to keep your plow straight. And so what Jesus is saying, he's like, listen, when you pick up the plow with the kingdom of God, whenever you go to work for God, when you start functioning together, you're not looking around to seeing what everybody else is doing. You have a focus. And the focus is Christ because Christ is the, the key to this kingdom. And you will take up this plow and you will look forward and you will move straight. And I'm telling you, anything that gets in your way, you will overcome it. It will get out of the way. You'll go right over it. You'll go right through it. Why? Because you are focused, because you're looking forward. <laughs> Beloved, we've got to be forward together. We've got to be focused on this mission of encountering the reality of Jesus. We must be focused on the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus says, seek first. Seek primarily the kingdom of God. I want you moving forward. I don't want you getting distracted by your offenses or the things that happened to you or the bumps along the road. No, no, no. I want straight lines. I want you to follow the straight and narrow. Narrow is the way. Straight is the gate. It's, it's a narrow road. And the only way we're going to stay on the straight and narrow is if we keep our eyes focused on the mission to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to advance the kingdom to all nations. This is the mission. So whenever I'm so focused on that, I don't get so troubled by little offenses and some pastor didn't talk to me today or he didn't smile or he looked at me with that sarcastic smile. It's okay. We're just advancing. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't walk with a limp sometimes. It doesn't mean that you don't have scars. It doesn't mean that you haven't earned some wisdom along the way because we know that knowledge is free, but wisdom costs us. We, we, we just carry it with us. But I'm telling you, beloved, when we get to the end of our life, we look and we go, man, I wasn't perfect, but my lines were pretty straight. Because what I found is that if I can get that first line straight, then the lines that follow are straight. If we can just... Get our eyes on sight. If we can get focused on the kingdom, the mission unites us when we're all looking at the same thing. We're converging. What an impact. That's what I love about having one spirit.